Hey there, you're listening to The Night Society, where we talk about monsters, myths, legends, and lore. I'm one of your hosts, Cole. And I am Raven. It's been a little bit since we've been here and we've done this, but it feels good to be back. (laughs) Yeah. This month I wanted to talk about the Pharaoh's Curse. I don't exactly have a very good reason as to why. Um... I've been watching a lot of, like, documentaries and things on YouTube, and I've kind of spiraled down the Pharaoh's curse path, so I guess I just wanted to to share that. And it's, like, a an interesting phenomenon. It, I guess it, it feeds into my, like, art history background a little bit, but, um, but yeah. And so when we talk about the Pharaoh's curse, we're speaking specifically about King Tut. Correct. Okay. So let's go into history corner, shall we? Um, So King Tut's uh, tomb, so it's in the Valley of the Kings in Cairo, I believe, or outside of Cairo. Um, But it was discovered in 1922 by um, Howard Carter. He was the main excavationist and it was his like life life mission to uncover like he was an Egyptologist in the age of Egyptology. Um, So. Yeah, so it was him. He had a financer who was George Herbert, the fifth Earl of Carnivara, Carnivon, Carnarvon. I don't know. Carbonara. And yes, and then he also was accompanied by a third person whose name I cannot remember. Um, uh, Sir Bruce In- Ingham? Sir Bruce Ingham? No, he did not accompany them, but... Um, I forget what her name is, but she actually went into the tomb first. Okay. So. Because I know he he was there, but he may have showed up later. Okay. Well, so to back up like 17 steps, um, <gasps> King Tut's curse basically um, states that anyone who disturbs the tomb of King Tut dies an untimely death. Um, so... Basically, what we're doing here is discussing, like, how that came to be, whether or not that's valid, um, and kind of what the what the spooky story is around that. So, to kind of go down the list, um, so it was, uh, like I said, discovered in 1922. Um, it had been uninterrupted for 3,000 years. Um, it had been completely sealed up. So, pillagers of all sorts had not made it in. Um, so it was like a first, um, uncovering and in a documentary that we watched, um, this was kind of like Howard Carter's last hurrah. He had been an Egyptologist and had excavated a ton of stuff up until that point, but never was it like good. He was running out of money. He was running out of like credit. Um, and so this was very much his like last hurrah. Yeah. I forgot how he had like two or three weeks left to Mm -hmm. like find something he basically asked his financer uh one more year and this happened in the one more year so yeah so they come across this tomb it's the three of them there they manage to break through and they can see that it's an entire tomb full of treasure it has a sarcophagus um and they are like the most excited they've ever been but in order to excavate a tomb in egypt you have to be regulated by the egyptian government so basically they discover this tomb and then they have to sit and wait until the government shows up the next day which like i 100 percent don't believe that they waited yeah 100 percent. and also if you think of like the inherent nature of like excavating in another country and then being like oh cool i found these things yoink i'm gonna take it Mm -hmm. imperialism 
Right. But also, I don't want to get too into the weeds, but like there, there's definitely a difference between how some countries uh, approach excavations and findings and how they take that knowledge back. Mm. I don't know. I mean, it also could be schools, like universities of or researchers in general, but I was taking a, a classics course about ancient Greek art and architecture in grad school. And like, if we think of the Elgin marbles, all of those were yoinked up and taken to London and they're on exhibit now. Mm-hmm. But there's some places where I can't remember the, the lead archaeologist, but like, uh, this is going to sound so stupid, but there's like German excavation sites often like dismantle things to see how things were like constructed and stuff but then leave but they leave like the trail at the site so instead of just like yoink gone there's like proof that people were there yeah i don't i don't know how else to like describe it but there's there's still instead of just like yoink gone there's like a semblance of what was there yeah so it kind of goes without saying, but I want to say it here too. All of the people who are on this ex- excavation team, or at least all the people that were documented on this excavation team were all English. This was during the, um, I guess, imperialistic conquest of Napoleon. So um, like this was on the tail end of that. So this is when Egypt mania was a thing, when Egyptology was a huge thing, uh, you know, the the United Kingdom and Britain in general uh, kind of wanted to go in and thought this was really exotic, really amazing, and then just like brought a bunch of e- Egyptian stuff back. So it was very, very predominant, very fascinating, very um, groundbreaking that they had found this tomb that had been completely untouched that still had a pharaoh intact. And the pharaoh is King Tut. Um, I think all of us probably know about him. Um, that he was like a young pharaoh um, and that he had died a early death and he was completely preserved and had like the gold mask and was like completely mummified and had the amulets inside of his wrappings. When you think of pharaohs, you think of King Tut. Undoubtedly, mm-hmm. you think of his like burial mask. To kind of also once again take a step back. So they broke into this, this they broke into the tomb, they got a bunch of stuff and then they started kind of cataloging, etc. And one of the main kind of pieces of information that is really easy to see looking backwards is that Howard Carter sold the rights to publication of this event to one newspaper. So that way they would be able to control what information goes out. So that is a key aspect to this Mm -hmm. curse that I think we will touch back with later. But here is the list of people that have quote unquote died by curse. So the first one to go and the kind of instigator of all of the the fervor around this curse is um, George Herbert. That's the the Earl. Uh, he's the financier financier of this. So basically, six weeks after reporting of the event started, he dies quote unquote mysteriously. Um, he had a mosquito bite on his cheek and as he was shaving, he cut it open. And basically I'm assuming it's like MRSA. He like got sepsis and died of like a blood infection. Um, I mean, it's real like in that era. Um, so he died. And then of course everything kind of exploded because he was a main, main person with this. Um, another person, um, was Sir Bruce Ingham. Um, 
he did not go to the dig site, but he was a friend of Carter's who um, Carter allegedly uh, sent him a mummy hand. Oh, yeah. And on the mummy hand was an inscription that said, cursed be he who moves my body. Yeah. Um, so like, obviously. Hmm. Real, t- real talk. Okay. So let's say I'm your friend. I dug up some cool stuff in the ground. A hundred percent I would send you stuff hold up but i'm like cool this hand is cool um it's got a cool bracelet and i'm an egyptologist and can read and understand things and i'm like oh this is cool it has the quote curse be he who moves my body and then i'm like well i think raven would really like this so then i send it to you yeah you would but my question (laughs) is would you be like, cool, thank you for bringing this curse into my house. Like, dope, I'm going to put this on the mantle. Or are you going to be like, yo, why did you bring this curse into my house? I mean, I feel like I'm the wrong person to ask that because I'd be like, fuck yeah, bring it. I'll put it in a vitrine and like have it on my hearth. But um, also remember... But also you have you have a different approach I to do, these 100%. things. I do, 100%. But at the same time, also remember these are in hieroglyphics. So Sir Bruce Ingham might not have known them. But then that's real shitty for Howard Carter to be like a hundred percent. That's throwing him under the bus. But uh, I I didn't write it down. But I think there was also um, in the tomb uh, there was something about like punishment via fire and water. And so what was interesting about Sir Bruce and Ingham mm-hmm, yeah. is he didn't die, or maybe he did. No, he didn't die. But his house caught on his fire, house burnt yeah. to the ground. Um, and then they went to rebuild it, and it burned down to the ground again. And then when they went to rebuild it again, it flooded. <laughs> so that's another one. Uh, another person was George J. Gould, who's an American financier. Um, he got sick immediately after. He entered the tomb and got sick immediately after. I don't believe he died immediately, but he didn't recover for like a couple of years and then passed away. Yeah, I believe he... I think he was sick and then never fully recovered, and then it developed into pneumonia. Mm-hmm. So, and I think it was only like months later that he passed. Yeah. Um, oh, here's the other person. Aubrey Herbert. That's was that the, the lady you were talking the, that's about? That's the lady. Yes, 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 yes. She lived to the ripe old age of like 65. Love it. So she's, she's our outlier. So um, another person is Hugh Evelyn White. He's an archaeologist. Um, so basically he passed away after going into the tomb. Uh, I'm not sure what the timeline was that he passed away after, but um, it's I saw in the article that he watched death sweep over 24 different excavators. One, who were they? Why aren't they written about? Were they, mm-hmm. were they from Egypt? Because probably this whole thing smells of racism and imperialism. Totally. Spoiler alert. Um. But as he died, apparently he wrote in his own blood, I have succumbed to a curse, which I call bullshit on that one. But I'm also showing my cards a little too early. So, okay, that was another person. Aaron Ember is another one. He also had a house fire. Um, He apparently wrote a manuscript called the Egyptian Book of the Dead. And basically him and his wife uh, escaped the house properly. And then she was like, you need to go get that manuscript. And he was like, oh, okay. And then basically like died in the house getting the manuscript. Um, Richard, Richard Bleffel, he was smothered in a brothel, which is my favorite one. But that was in 1929. So you're seeing like a pattern of like, oh, 
maybe these were all just really bad human beings. Um, Another person is Sir Archibald Douglas Reed. Um, He is the person that he x-rayed the tomb um, and he died three days later. Um, James Henry Breasted. Um, he's an interesting story because, um, he had a canary that was like his treasured canary. He was kind of told, I don't know if it was by a seer or someone. Um, I want, this was my favorite one I wanted to bring up. Yeah. That, uh, the canary was going to point him towards, uh, prosperity, I guess. And so he brought the canary to Egypt. He went into, uh, he went into the tombs and stuff, or I guess the day he was going to go into the tombs, uh, he heard a scream that sounded like a human scream in his house and a cobra had eaten his canary. So that's a wonderful story, I guess. Which is a symbol of the Egyptian monarch, you know? Oh, it is. It is totally a hundred percent, which I like love that imagery. I also read too that I didn't know that one. I heard that it was Howard Carter's pet canary. No. But I couldn't find anything to substantiate that. So that at least has more information. I'm pretty sure uh, James Harry Brusted was one of the team that like yeah. went in pretty early. But he did die after a trip to Egypt in 1935. So, so he made it a little bit longer. He made it like 14 years or so. Totally. But yes. So then we have uh, the lady whose name I forgot again. Abigail? Aubrey. Aubrey. Okay. Like, she lived to the ripe old age of, like, 60-plus. Um, mm-hmm. Howard Carter himself lived to 64. But you have all of these ex- these exper- these accounts of people dying after coming into contact with this tomb. As you can kind of tell by a lot of the different deaths, like, some of them might not have been causal. But at the same time, there is there is some validity to what happens when you enter this tomb. Do you want to talk about the mold? I think maybe the the undertones and like the stuff that I wanted to talk about, like imperialism, bad. But if you just think about the the action of going into a chamber that has been sealed shut for a long period of time, mm-hmm. maybe three thousand years, you know, like whatever. Like think of your think of your basement when you haven't gone down there. It's always kind of like stale and gnarly. So, like respirators weren't a thing that these people were using. I mean, it's I guess they were wearing their best Sunday clothes. Yeah, like it's post I get early twenties, so like post ish World War One. Mm-hmm. So like I don't think a lot of precautions were taken at all, especially for unnamed excavator number three. You know, but if you th- like. There's been documentaries that are specific to just, like, these archaeologists and stuff getting sick and, like, having lung failure. And people are like, I don't know what's happening. It's like, oh, well, she's an archaeologist. It's like, well, yeah, yeah you're breathing in 3,000-year-old bacteria and other mm-hmm. things that have been growing and mutating. And I don't know what bacteria does. But, like, you're, you're going to get fucked up if you're not protecting yourself. Mm-hmm. But I would like to highlight, though, I think it is interesting given... Like, we're talking about, like, pharaohs, a pharaoh's curse, a sealed chamber with things carved into the walls to stop someone from, you know, grave robbing. And the Egyptians being incredibly intelligent. Like, I wonder if the bacteria or what the mold or whatever, like, the climate within that chamber 
was also a product of their protection for the for a pharaoh. You know what I mean? So like they purposefully put stuff in there. Yeah, not like they put like smoke bombs and like stink bombs and stuff. Well, that's but, the equivalent. Yeah, but like, like. Well, I mean, there was a dead body in there. Right, but like if I'm ta- I'm talking about like um, there's an intentionality with everything they're doing. So like what what was put in the pigment of whatever they're painting the walls with Mm -hmm. that didn't need to be there for pigment's sake, but to be there for... Like ritual sake? Yeah, like sacred messaging or something. Or protection. You know what I mean? Using the water of the Nile in the paint definitely carries Mm -hmm. bacteria, which I think is cool as hell because that's like its own... Like without them even knowing, 3,000 years later, that's its own uh, like chemical bomb, you know? Yeah. Um, little cocktail there yeah so there is this element to this curse where like there is a huge part of me that i I doubt all of this mostly because like we'll talk about the the news in a second but it's like all of these people are white all of these people are british there's that that have names few mention mm -hmm, that have names yeah right history is written by the victor but there is like there uh one of the documentaries that I watched was about a woman who went relatively recently and went into the tomb and then died of lung failure and it was because mm-hmm. she had a specific kind of mold in her lungs. So it's like you can look back at this and see like, you know, if you had a compromised immune system going into this back in the 1900s, like you're going to die. <laughs> like <laughs> like period. Um, this is going to take you down or something like a mosquito bite or a point of, of opening for your, your body to get infected. Like with George Herbert, like that's obviously going to like get you. And I think like, this is, this is still the era of when like, it was probably more hurtful to go to the doctor than it was to not. Also, also I do want to mention that I think is really like key is that, like, the type of people going to Egypt, like, I remember one of the things saying, like, you went to Egypt when you were sick because it was dry and it was hot. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you had cholera or some kind of, like, lung disease, then what they would do is they would send you to Egypt. So it's like, okay, well, you're already immunocompromised, which is 100% using our lens on that. But it's, like, it's really hard for me to, like, be like, woo, curse, you know? What I do want to talk about, though, is like, where did we get the idea of the curse in the first place? And so you had mentioned on the on the entryway on the doors, there's hieroglyphics written. um, And like one of them states like, uh, what is it? It's similar to the hand inscription. Curse be he who moves my body. Yeah. Or there's another one about wings. Yeah. It's like the wings of death will. uh, Let me see if I can find it. Because all of all of the the curses sounded like really badass. A hundred percent. I feel like curses are only badass. So basically, like there is a curse on the entryway that was more of a protective spell. So looking back, like current day uh, Egyptologists can see that and be more like, no, contextually, it's less a curse and more a warning for because like pillaging of pyramids still happened back then. Um, and it and it happened a lot contemporary to Tutankhamun's like yeah, yeah, like passing cur- yeah, current day yeah so there was there were hieroglyphics on the on the entryway being just like do not do this you will be punished more or less kind of probably similar to what I mean contextually similar to like the signs that we have up at parks saying like here are the rules so 
that can be completely misconstrued, especially if you are, um, you know, Britain in the 19, early 1900s, this is industrial revolution. You want something exotic. You want something cool to read about. You want something to listen to. You want this like new, amazing thing. Like, of course it becomes a curse. And this is kind of where we can wrap back into the media thing. So like I mentioned earlier, Howard Carter sold the the story rights to the London times, which was like the high end magazine at the time, mm-hmm. um, which probably was the downfall of all this. And to me, this is a hundred percent. My opinion is like the reason why this curse exists, because if you like, if you're a big news, whatever, and you want to report on this, you're going to make shit up. Or you are going to see that the main financier of, of this excavation dies six weeks after, ex, uh, after like this whole thing happens. Totally. You're going to start writing about it. And you're going to sensationalize everything to make 100%. it. 100%. So people come back issue after issue. Yeah. And like, you know, you, like, you want to know that kind of stuff. I started going down a rabbit hole looking up when Penny Dreadfuls were a thing. Mm. Um, and actually like... Writing has a lot to do with this curse. Um, Louisa May Alcott, actually the writer of Little Women, which is still to date one of my favorite books, um, she wrote about the mummy's curse in 1860, uh, 1869, so way before this. Mm. Uh, Penny Dreadfuls actually were in the 1830s, so even more before this. But the kind of cultural mindset in Britain of the the scary as entertaining like had right stepped and hold this is also in edgar Allan poe era i know he's america but you know this is definitely fresh on the mind also sir arthur conan doyle of sherlock holmes fame wrote about yeah. a curse of the mummy and is actually like comically what our current day the mummy movie is based off <laughs> oh i didn't know that <laughs> i mean loosely loosely that's um, fair so, I just thought Brendan Fraser was like, I want to look good a movie, in a movie, movie for two hours. Like, yeah. how do we do this? But it was, it was fascinating. And, and there's this, you know, this ushered in this era of fascination with Egyptian, Egyptian, it's basically just Egyptian f- fanaticism. Um, so, like, that's going to blow things way out of proportion because you basically have, like, a tabloid situation about this tomb. And, like, that's what's going to sell right. papers. A hundred percent. Um, and I think it's really interesting, like, uh, contextually that like, this is when witchcraft kind of began. I mean, witchcraft Mm -hmm. obviously didn't begin then, but like contemporary witchcraft, uh, OTO, the like, you know, going into more ceremonial witchcraft in England, this is when it kind of burgeoned because like a bunch of Egyptian artifacts were coming out. And so it was really easy to kind of build this narrative. Yeah, I don't know if it's like correct, but like when I hear people talk about like ceremonial magicians, like mm-hmm. this is the era I think of. Mm-hmm. Well, it's where it kind of became, um, it was a high class involvement. So like, you know, witchcraft before then was like, to kind of just not go into an entire class about it, but before then was like the low person's magic. It was the low person's uh, activity. If you were a witch, you were on the outskirts. You didn't. You did not. You were not involved with society. In fact, you were ostracized and usually killed by it. The study of Egyptology and the study of like Egyptian magic and Egyptian lore and Egyptian um, 
way of being animism in any in in all of it that's kind of where it kicked up because if you were a rich person you went to egypt and if you were a rich Mm -hmm. person it was okay for you to have egyptian artifacts in your house it was okay for you to have a lot of different things so like this is the era when the traditional smith rider weight tarot deck came out um also all of these images come from that era for me it it made me think of the like the extravagant end of that is the Winchester Mystery House, which was in construction from like 1880, mid 1880s to like 1922. Mm. And that, because that's the year she passed. Oh, but man. like, uh, mysticism and spiritualism were like a big thing. Yep. And like she had, I believe, like for her, she had a Native American guide, like spirit guide, I believe, um, which I I think that was. You know, because the whole Winchester thing. I wonder I wonder with her being, you know, West Coast in the United States, like how how Still swept in the up. lexicon. Totally. I'm just curious, like with her being in that time frame, like I don't you hear everything so related to the gun mm-hmm. that I wonder how involved in like e- Egyptology and stuff she was because she's probably like hella into it and I'm sure Honestly, all of this just makes me want to talk about the show Penny Dreadful because it lo- that loops all of it together. The guns, the imperialism, the like, I mean, it's literally all of it. <laughs> it's the Alan Quartermain character from League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Sure. Basically, yeah, he's like a poacher or something and he goes to Africa or he goes to exotic lands, quote unquote. But then he oh, always... Oh, like Carl Akeley? But then he deals with the paranormal stuff, too. How- but I think it, all of this is absolutely fascinating. And, of course, like, people would get caught up in it. In America, uh, Egypt mania is what it was called. It was a little bit later. But that was instigated more or less by... Um, so, okay, to contextualize it, it was written about in the London Times. Everyone went and then kind of went crazy about talking about this specific tomb because they didn't have rights to it, so they were just, like, making shit up. Marie Corelli, I believe is how it's said, how it's uh, pronounced, wrote in the New York World magazine about specifically the curse. And then that is what, like, you know, launched absolutely everything. But at that point, they started talking about the curse of this tomb and it blew up and it blew up and it blew up. And then everyone started sending their artifacts back. If you had an Egyptian artifact in your house, they'd be like, no, 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 I'm okay. Museums started sending it back to Egypt. All of this other, like, all of this other things, because they thought everything was cursed and they didn't want to die as well. But that's like a really great way to like get your shit back <laughs> to have people repatriate your artifacts. Be yeah. like, yo, it's cursed. It's hundred percent cursed. All of it. That. All of it is totally cursed. Um, I mean, it happened, and like, even I thought this was funny. A funny note. Even Mussolini, who had a bunch of artifacts, sent them back. Hey, man. That guy had to have been hella superstitious. Oh, a hundred percent. But I think it's interesting because also like I didn't write much down on it, but there was a period of time. Um, I believe it was in like eighties and nineties, uh, where the, the, the exhibition was sold. So it traveled all around the, all around the world. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of other stuff happened with that, too. Like, people got hurt, people died, um, and it just fed into this. So I think it's really interesting that it's something that's permeated um, even to current day because they had that other thing. Like, Yeah, there 
there was an article I have. I'm just trying to see if I can pull it up here real quick. But it was post it on tour. Mm-hmm. And I it was going to be exhibited, I think, at like Harvard or some university. It was like, hey, we're it's it's going to go chill here for a bit. I could be wrong. But it but they're like, so it's had this track record of all these deaths from the ex- excavation, all these like weird like installation issues with people getting hurt things falling on people weird things of people visiting the show and then they're like so and it was like the let's say it's harvard but it's like the university times being like so why are we doing this (laughs) yeah why are we signing up for it it made me think of like just circling back to the curse because the curse i mean i guess could be an action or a result of an action but like i think it could also just be a mindset like you're you're looking for things or you're thinking something will happen and that's also a way of manifesting something mm-hmm. um and so i think it's really interesting that we have simple words i'm gonna say of wisdom from three thousand years ago that were disregarded that then fuel we could say hundreds of years of panic yeah because or it could be centuries because those were put there for grave robbers at the time. They, well, obviously they didn't find those specific ones or they ignored it. And then it just was forgotten over time. But like over the centuries, like, you know, this isn't the only instance of it. So that like those, it's interesting that those words have power, I guess, mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I mean, they feel the word, like it's the words of the media, like that feels so much. Totally. Um. I love, I don't remember if it was in the tomb or if it was just said in one of the interviews, but it would say my name and I shall live. Yeah. And it's like, that's so cool. That's the magic of all of this is like, that curse may not be real, quote unquote, but Mm -hmm. it has so much power because it's still in effect. Like it's still talked about when, when we talk about King Tut's tomb. Um, And it's so sensationalized at the same time. Although, I don't know, maybe this is a conspiracy theory, but I like, I, I'm like, yeah, the people of Egypt 100% like wrote some of those news articles because they're like, stop touching our stuff. Yeah. <laughs> For the love of God, leave it alone. <laughs> but, um, I, bleh, um, Howard Carter, like never had anything like mysterious happen to him. Mm-hmm. Like his house never burnt down. Like he didn't. His arm never burst into flames. Nothing really, like, affected him directly. He ended up living to be, like, 64. 64. Yeah. But his tombstone says, May your spirit live. May you spend millions of years, you who love Thebes, sitting with your face to the north wind, your eyes beholding happiness. Thebes? Like the city? Okay. I It sounded like you said thieves. And I was like, damn. T-H-E-B-E-S. Got it. Thebes. Thebes? I can't... My lisp is taking it Sitting over. Sitting to... But... S- facing the north wind. Yeah. That makes me Your feel... eyes yeah. beholding happiness. Oh, that's sweet. Which is like... That's a good epithet. Yeah. But like... Also, fuck you, dude. <laughs> yeah. Although at the same time, like, I wonder... Like, of course, my mind, te- like, fi- wander- wanders in the fiction of this. And I'm just like, I wonder if, like... The reason him and Aubrey, Aubrey, Aubrey were untouched. Like if I were to write a screenplay or something, it would be because they actually honored 
they actually honored what it was and so they were not touched by the curse or like you could you could even like extrapolate that like okay cool like they honored you know what it was but also like this definitely didn't happen because like he I would assuming he was a little bit of like a Scrooge McDucky and was like oh my god gold and would like you know ran to the sarcophagi or whatever was in there but like what if they were the two that never touched anything mm. you know what I mean yeah like well, they course, never they, did the they, they didn't, didn't do, do the, the work. extraction yeah they didn't yeah. do the work which is also what makes me be like Matt I call baloney yeah totally like you know like part of the reason why I chose this is because like I was like oh this will kind of be like fun like mm-hmm. I'm kind of in like a the mummy a national treasure type movie vibe lately so like this is kind of like a little fun like adventure and then as we started getting into it I was like thinking of you know I think of the jungle cruise and now I'm like oh everything just is tetanus there's a bunch of broken metal um but it's still that era of like adventuring and mm-hmm. And imperialism and raping, raping the cultures of other people. <laughs> totally. Which I can't like unsee that. It's the sociology in me. I like can't unsee that. Totally. And like that was a undercurrent in my grad school research. So I was just like, I was like, this will be fun. And then I like, I was like, oh, no, I've fallen into my own trap. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Damn it. Well, we all know how I feel about this. I definitely call like phony hoax like this is why you don't touch other people's shit yeah but what's your what's your what's your read um i agree with you it's like i think it's totally propped up by the media but i also like to shine on the fact like like even though the the curses and things were put on the wall probably for like their own contemporary grave grave robbers I think those words still like have weight and mm-hmm. not that the, not the weight and the fact that they are curses, but they have weight to deter, you know, no, to um, like embed that to embed that theoretical curse into someone's brain. And um, we're the idiots that like don't even listen. Right. Like, what are we doing? But, but they sell gold. Yeah. Um, or it's like what uh recently they just found the like portal to hell that has like gases come like it's literally a hole in Greece that like has dead animals yeah. around it and I'm like, Don't touch it. Have we not learned? <laughs> yeah, there was also a fairly recent discovery of um some lead tablets that have like inscriptions on them that I I don't remember if they were like they weren't curses. It wasn't like a book of curses or anything, but it was like lead tablets of like, I think maybe like worship to, I don't think Hades, but like a underworld oh, God or something. I would like know. It. I would know. Like I'm yeah, on I, that. I'm on that newsletter. <laughs> you subscribe. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, there's like these tablets and they're like going to translate it. And they're like, cool, here's your summoning circle right please, now. Like, please don't read go. it out loud or three times or... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. The the three times thing. I was watching some show lately that they're like, they were talking about like, you you know, like you can say Bloody Mary and like, it's fine. And then the one, the other person was like, you can't say Bloody Mary. And they're like, oh, we've said it twice already. Like, we can't do this. Ugh. But I like, I don't know. That, it's amazing like, what holds fear in our hearts. Yeah. That communal, like self-conscious. Mm-hmm. I... I really thought this would be a lighthearted one. I was just like, this will be fun. It's never lighthearted. It's always, the answer is always imperialism, really. 150 billion percent. (laughs) And I do recognize that we are like two 
white individuals talking about this too but well that means we get to call it out british people come on the fuck on yeah of the 1900s stop excavating stuff like i thought yeah. that i thought about that a lot with uh uh the indiana jones ride at disney world oh, yeah. where it's like all of this is supposed to be, or disneyland yeah all of this is supposed to be like comical and funny and like a journey and an adventure and then it's like literally it's like Come on, come on and to your vacation and you anything you can carry, you can take. And I'm just like, also, I can't consider this fun. But also, like, if you because you talked about that, like that whole ride is talking about the eyes of Mara. Mm-hmm. And there's like literally as you're walking through that space that like you hear I guess you don't hear things. You see things written in, in like hieroglyphics that if you like translate, they're like, do not look into the eyes of Mara. Mm-hmm. And it's all about getting like fortune or whatever. And then the ride literally begins with you approaching the statue of Mara, looking into the eyes and everything happens. It's literally not heeding the Pharaoh's curse. Yeah, man. I don't know. I, like, I like that ride. Apparently everything I touch lately just goes back to Disney and I'm really upset about it. I think it's okay. It's a magical place. Yeah. But I don't know. It's also very weird. All of that's very weird that it's like rides based on imperialism. Yeah. Or uh, we could talk about that for like 100 years because like Mr. Toad? What the fuck is that shit? I don't want to talk about Mr. Toad. It's it's upsetting. So on that note. um, I would like to to just talk briefly because I found like during all this, like everything's talking about the Pharaoh's curse with like the 1920s and then like stuff leading into the 30s and then like Howard Carter passing a few decades later but it seemed to be mostly concentrated in like like around 2010 2011 that there was like british news outlets so definitely not just to one like howard carter wanted talking about the pharaoh's curse linking it to alistair crowley being like well known known satanist knew these people and he could have been an assassin for the past. And it was just like, like stoke. And one, I was like, this is maybe slanderous. So I, I don't love this. But all I think of Aleister Crowley is sex magic. So I'm, I will acknowledge my ignorance. But it just seemed like they're like, well, we haven't talked about the Pharaoh's curse in a while. So might as well rally up the troops. Did here. a movie come and- out? I, I don't think so. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think it's. Uh, I think that's definitely like a thing. He works a lot with Egyptology and like Egypt, uh, like Egyptian deities. So like that's not a far reach. But also the devil, the devil you know is the devil you want to blame on. So like yeah, like Telegraph. Literally, this article is titled "Curse of Tutankhamun May Have Been Work of Satanist Killer." Oh my god, Telegraph though. That's like a tabloid. <laughs> I know. That's trash. I know, but they're they're not the only one. But I'm just like, buddy. But like, for a brief moment, though, like to think of like, you know, sex magic man as a crusader of the past to protect these things. I was that when did the Da Vinci Code come out then? No, that was like early 2000s. Yeah, that's some like Da Vinci Code ass shit. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. It could be fun. That could be a fun. That would be a, a movie I would watch. But it would not be based in reality in any way. No. So. But like, neither is Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. I have not seen that movie, nor do I oh, want we, to. We, we own it. It's not the worst. Thank you for listening to The Night Society. If you are wanting to touch base with us or figuring out 
or figure out what we're up to next, you can go to our website at okretro.zone or follow us on any social media platform at okretrozone. Other than that, I hope you have an amazing new moon in Taurus and watch out for King Tut's curse. It's going to get you. <laughs> no, no, it won't. You'll be fine. Everything's fine. <laughs>